You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. I've got exciting news for you guys. Tonight's the the first week of a brand new series. Who likes a new series? I do. I know I do. It's one of my favorite things to do with you guys. So um, we actually just came out of an incredible series called Not My Own. Did you guys enjoy that series? We, we looked at all of the gifts that are given to us by God uh, that are not our own. It was an amazing series. I had so many good small group conversations with my dudes, and I, I'm, I heard a lot of really good small group conversations happen everywhere else. Amen. We had a great time with that, but uh, I believe this series is gonna be no different. So if you came tonight, not just to hear me talk, I hope you didn't just come to hear me talk, but you came to hear God speak to you. Did anybody come to hear God speak to them? If that's you, I want you to posture yourself in that sort of way that says, God, I'm ready. God, I'm listening. I want you. Um, This is a big message, but I know you guys can handle this. I know you can do this. So help me out. Partner with me. Do what you got to do. If you got to move seats, if you've got to take physical notes, whatever you need to do, I promise you it will be worth it tonight. But the title of this series, we're calling it Head in the Clouds. Somebody say Head in the Clouds. Head in the Clouds. clouds. And this is a seven-week series all on the Bible. We're just going to spend seven weeks talking about this thing called the Bible. And we're gonna be looking at how the Bible is not just this big book full of random stories. It's not this big book full of random historical events, random people, random ancient kings, random teachings about Jesus. No, this book is one story. Amen? Are you all awake tonight? This book is one story. It's telling one story. And we're gonna be going deep into the series looking at the different parts, the different aspects of the Bible to bring some, conf- some clarity to confusion because I don't know about you, but sometimes reading the Bible is a little confusing. Yeah. Have you ever been there before? Sometimes it's hard to do. And I think part of that is because we don't have a 30,000 foot bird's eye view of what the story actually is. The reason why we're doing this is because this word, the Bible, is unlike any other book in existence. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Christian. Like, Christian or not, whether you believe that the Bible is absolute truth or not, you've got to admit that there's something special about the Bible. There's something unique about the fact that we still have it today. In fact, um, David Guzik says it like this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down or sh- shoot a picture of it. As he says this, there is no book like it in its continuity and consistency. There is no book like it in its honesty. There is no book like it in its circulation. There is no book like it in its survival. There is no book like it in its influence and life-changing power. Okay, so what that quote says to me, there's a couple things that I like about this. Number one, I like that it says, this book is unlike any other in its continuity. What does that mean? Well, you know, the Bible was written by 40 authors. 40 different people wrote the Bible over a span of thousands of years, and somehow, miraculously, it all tells one story cohesively, like no contradictions. If we were to have somebody do that today, we would get 4,000 different stories. But why did we get one story? It's because there were 40 writers, but there was one author, right? 
The Holy Spirit was the author. This book is unlike any other book, and the simple fact that it still exists today is proof of that. Do you know how many groups of people tried to delete this book from existence? How many people who did not want the Bible to exist tried to exterminate the word, but we still have it today? That should say something to you, whether you believe it or not, that there's something unique about this book, amen? Amen. There's something unique about it. Now, this is crazy though. For many of us, even though this book is so different, we don't treat it that way. We don't necessarily treat it like it's different. Like if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard somebody tell you, you've probably heard me tell you, hey, you should be in the word. Have you ever heard somebody tell you that? You should be in your Bible. You should read your Bible because it has the power to change you, right? The Bible has the power to change us. But the reality is, if we were honest, a lot of us are hardly ever in our Bible. Sometimes we never make time for this book that we claim is so different. Now, I've got a couple statistics real quick just to start off tonight. And I I would take these with a grain of salt. I don't think they're 100% true but I do think there's some truth in them. The first one is this, this is crazy. One out of every five regular churchgoers admits that they never read the Bible outside of church. One out of five, that's 20% of people who go to church never read their Bible outside of church. Look at this one. 40% of all self-proclaimed Christians have never read through the entire Bible before. So that means that for us in this room, statistically, We are all, if we're going off those statistics, there's at least 25% of us in this room who are building our entire life on a book that we don't even know what it says, we don't even believe that it actually has the power to change us, and we never make time for. Yikes. Now, this this is what people call today, it's this issue we have in the world today, it's called biblical illiteracy. Have you ever heard that before? Biblically illiterate, what does that mean? It basically just means people today, they don't know how to read their Bibles. They don't know how to use the Bible. They don't know how to apply the Bible to their life and they don't read it. Now, let's just be honest. I think there are a lot of different reasons why somebody, maybe yourself might be here tonight and you might be like, I think I'm a little biblically illiterate. There's a lot of different reasons. Like for one, maybe you're biblically illiterate because you, look, you grow up in a home and your parents never taught you the word They never taught you how to read the word. They never read the word in front of you. And did you know that your parents are supposed to be the first pastor in your life? Did you know that? Your parents are supposed to be your pastor more than I'm your pastor. Now, a lot of us don't grow up in homes like that. I'll be honest, I didn't grow up in a home like that. So sometimes we're biblically illiterate and it's not necessarily our fault. Some of it has to do with the way we were raised. Are you guys following me tonight? I know we're starting off heavy, but is this okay? Sometimes we're biblically illiterate and it's because of, not totally, but it's because of people like me who preach messages to you. Sometimes we go to churches and the pastors that we are serving under, they aren't telling us what we need to hear. They're telling us what we like to hear. You follow me? They're telling us what the Bible says like tickles our ears. They they tell funny stories and they tell jokes. And I'm not saying that stuff is bad, but I'm saying they only give us that and they don't give us what we need, which is what? The word of God. So these are just two different reasons why some of you in this room might be biblically illiterate. But at the end of the day though, at the end of the day, whether you didn't have parents 
that gave you the word of God or not, or whether you didn't grow up in a good church that gave you the word or not. At the end of the day, we all have a choice to make. We each have a choice to, to either take ownership of our walk with the Bible or not. What I'm saying is at the end of the day, the reason why all of us at one point in our life are biblically illiterate, it's because of us, right? It's because we didn't make time to be in the Bible. I've been there before. When I grew up, I didn't have the, the most uh, amazing pastoral parents. I, I didn't go to the most amazing, perfect church. But at the end of the day, if I was biblically illiterate, that was on me. You following me? That was on me. I can't blame it on anybody else. It was my fault. And so if you find yourself here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, dang, I don't even remember the last time I read my Bible. I think I might be a little biblically illiterate, Pastor Jackson. If that's you, let me just calm you down for a second. Don't start feeling bad about yourself. Don't start thinking that you're the worst Christian in the room because I promise you, you're not. And I promise you, you are not the only one here tonight who is also struggling with the word. That's exactly why we're doing this series. That's why this series is so important because the way we understand the Bible, the way we see and view the, vibe, the Bible brings life to what we're reading. Not only that, but this book has something, or this book is something that all of us, guess what, we will never fully understand. Like, I know I'm on the platform and I'm preaching a message to you about the Bible, but do you know I'm still a student of the word? Like, we're all gonna be students of the word until the day that we die. Nobody has ever arrived at fully knowing how to use and read and understand God's word. We're on that journey for the rest of our life, and you will be too. We're always gonna be students of the word. So our aim in this series is to do this. It's to take a 30,000-foot view of the story of God. Are you following me tonight? A 30,000-foot view. We wanna see the bird's-eye view of what all of Scripture is trying to show us about who God is and how we fit into his story. We wanna get our head in the clouds. Look to your neighbor and say, get your head in the clouds. So we're gonna kick off this series looking at 2 Timothy chapter three real quick, verse 16 and 17. I'm gonna read this scripture to you, jot it down, memorize it this series maybe. Hey, I don't know, maybe somebody needs to memorize this scripture. This is a great one to memorize. We're gonna read it. And we're going to pray really quickly and then get into the rest of this message. Look at what it says. It says this, all scripture. Does that mean the whole Bible? Yeah, I think that means the whole Bible. <laughs> the whole Bible, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness that the man or lady, shout out to you ladies, you guys counting this, the man or lady of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. That's a good passage right there. And we're gonna look at the first portion tonight in the second half of my message. I got like a two-parter for you. In the second half of this message, we're gonna look at the first five books of the Bible called the law or the Pentateuch, yeah. It's gonna be good, y'all. We're gonna look at Genesis through Deuteronomy, what's known as the law, and we're gonna see how the law fits in to this entire story of Jesus. It's gonna be amazing. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The law, that's the title of the message tonight. Short, simple, sweet, to the point. Let's pray, and we're gonna get into the rest of this word. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. God, we need you. We love you. 
we recognize that your word is unique. It is special. It is your voice for us today. And God, if there's anybody in this room tonight who is struggling with your word, maybe they've got scales on their eyes. They don't see your word correctly. Maybe they, they don't like getting in, their, in your word because they think it's too hard. Wherever we find ourselves tonight, your scripture tells us that all of it is good for us. All of it is helpful to us. And so I pray that you would help these new song students tonight as we, as we dig into your word. Help us to see how all of the Bible is good for us and that we actually fit into this story that we read that was written thousands of years ago but still is being written today. We love you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, I've discovered uh, something about myself recently that I didn't know and it's that I'm really, I'm really into ASMR videos. Does anybody like ASMR? <laughs> okay, let me, just, let me just clarify because there's some weird ASMR. I'm not talking about the weird stuff, okay? Here's what I'm talking about. So um, <laughs> this is no joke. This is, okay, this is, this is Haley and I's uh, routine every single night besides this last week. She's been gone. I've been very lonely. Pray for me, okay? But every night we put Marlo down for bed and then we go onto our couch no joke, this is what we do almost every night. We set a 15-minute timer, and we allow ourselves 15 minutes to just scroll through reels together. Now, don't judge me. I'm a millennial. We don't do TikTok. We do Instagram reels, okay? And I'm old, okay? That's an old thing to do now. So we sit on the couch. We set a 15-minute timer, and we just scroll through Instagram reels. We try to find funny ones, but the ones that I always get caught, like, stuck in are the ASMR videos, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, my favorite ones. Here's a couple of my favorite ones. I love the ones where you have the kinetic sand. Have you seen these? Has anybody seen these? You've got like this guy, he's got like a perfect cube of kinetic sand or a cylinder and then this like hand comes into the screen and there's a knife and they're just like shh, shh and they make perfect cubes. Why is that so satisfying? I don't know. Or there'll be like a cylinder of kinetic sand and they take a fork and they scrape the side down why is that so awesome? I don't know why. Okay, here's another one I like. I like the cooking ASMR where there's no music, no talking. It's just like, shh, 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 shh. I love those. They're so amazing. Um, there's another one. This, you, I don't know if you get this on your feed, but it's kind of niche. It's like the espresso ASMR. Does anybody get the coffee ASMR? Okay, it's not just me. Okay. Um, there was one I saw. There was one I saw um, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it's considered ASMR, but I'm putting it in the message. And it's, it was like this guy, he had a, a ballpoint pen and he's writing on it. And then all of a sudden the camera zooms in, like a microscopic zoom in to the ballpoint of the pen. Have you seen this? And, and it's showing you what it looks like for a ballpoint. It is cool, I don't know why. And, and I was like watching it and I was like, I didn't know that's what it looked like when a ballpoint pen writes. That is pretty dope. And it got me thinking, I was thinking about this, you know, when you, when you zoom into something really, really tight, like with a microscopic lens, it's really cool to see what, what you didn't, like say we started with a pen. I know I started with a pen, now I'm zooming in. Oh, I didn't know it looked like that. But when you start at a microscopic level, it's actually really difficult to, to know what that object was beforehand. In fact, 
I brought some pictures with you guys. We're gonna do a little show and tell. Is that okay? I got some pictures of some, some normal everyday objects that are zoomed in at a microscopic level. I wanna see if you can guess what some of these are, okay? Okay, okay? I need your crowd participation tonight, okay? Okay, so what's, what's this first one we got here? <laughs> yes, I'm just kidding. Does anybody think they know what this is? A wasp nest, no. Okay, you're all wrong. Okay, here's what it is. Here's what it is. You ready? It's a coffee bean. Did anybody say that? Okay, so, wow, we're, we're going quick. Okay, slow down, fam. Okay, so that first one was a coffee bean. Does anybody think they know what this is? This is a different one. Okay, this is, this is a beard hair after just being cut by a razor, okay? Kind of nasty. What's the next one? What's the next one? Oh, this one's so weird. If anybody can get this, I will give you money, all right? It's kind of it's nasty, right? Okay, this is, that is, shh, this is a staple in a piece of paper. Did anybody say that? No, you didn't, okay. Uh, I think we've got one more or two more. What do we, what's the next one? Okay, what's this? Anybody know what this is? Is, isn't this hard? Okay. This is, this is the edge of a razor blade. Did somebody say that? Okay. One more, one more for you. Last one, last one. Oh, actually there's two more. Anybody know what this is? Okay, this is a penny. That's a microscopic picture of a penny. Okay, now it's the last one. What's the last one? <laughs> okay, this one's a little bit easier. This one is the head of a spider. It's pretty nasty. Okay, you can take that down. You can take that down. What's the, uh, listen to me. Hey, reel it in, y'all. What's the point? What's the point of this exercise? What's the point of this exercise? This is how some of us are trying to understand God's word. You hear me? This is how some of us are trying to understand God's word. Here's why. We've been told that the Bible is just like, it's like a rule book for your life. And so if you'll just read it and you can just take what you read and just apply it to your life, and you're gonna just like, you're gonna live in prosperity. It's gonna be so easy. Instead of treating God's word as what it actually is, it's a story about who God is and how we are supposed to be with him. See, the way we typically read the, the Bible is by attempting to take whatever verse we just read and like force squeeze it into our life somehow. Like somehow, okay, I need to read this passage and I need to somehow creatively make sure it can, it can fit into my life and apply to my life. But what I wanna tell you is until you actually know the broader picture, because that's looking at God's word in a microscopic lens. When you know the broader picture, the story of God's word, there's a good chance if you're, if you're not doing that, that you're applying God's word wrong to your life. See, until you know the whole story, the overarching theme of God's word, see, you can read things in the Bible and you can leave feeling really confused. Anybody ever felt that way before? You can leave feeling really confused, not encouraged, 
Why? Because you are seeing a verse or a passage or a story through the lens of a microscope. Now, here are a few reasons, if you're taking notes, here are two reasons why I think this is harmful to us, okay? First one is this. Reading the Bible through a microscope leaves me feeling more confused than encouraged. Reading God's word through a microscope leaves me feeling more confused than encouraged. Have you ever done this before? Been so desperate to hear from God, but you haven't necessarily been in his word, and and you're like, God, I need you to speak to me. I need a word. So you do this thing where you get your Bible out, and you sit on your bed, and then you flip to a random page in scripture, and you just, you're just like, God, please let this apply to me. And you just flip to a random page, and then you read it, and you're like, yeah, no, that didn't help me. <laughs> Has anybody done that before? Man, there were so many times, there were so many times when I was in high school, and I wanted to hear God so bad. But if I'm being honest, I never made time for his word but I wanted to hear him so bad. So there'd be moments in my life where like, I'm desperate, God, I need a word from you. And so I would do this. I would pull out my Bible, flip to a random passage in scripture and just hope to God that it applied to me. And this is what can happen when you do that. Let's just say, pretend, Pastor Jackson, this is my senior year. I'm desperate. I need a word from God. I open the word of God and I come to Exodus 23, verse 19. And I read this, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. All right, cool. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there on my bed and I'm like, uh, okay, God, not necessarily what I was looking for, but you know what? Let's give it another shot. So then I, I scroll over to a different passage and then let's say I scrolled over to Leviticus 26, 29. And it says this, you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. And so I read that, and then I'm like, okay, third time's a charm, right? So then I'm like, all right, I'm going to try one more time. And let's just say I turn over to Deuteronomy 25, and then I read this. If two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by the private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Show her no pity. You know what I would, if I read that, I would be like, I would be like, God, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to apply this to my day today, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Okay. I know that's like really, I know that's really goofy and really funny, but like, understand this. This is what we do when we attempt to apply God's word through the lens of a microscope. Are you following me tonight? This is exactly what we're doing. When we just zoom in to a single verse, we have no idea what it means, how it fits into God's word, his story, your story, and we just say, I'm gonna use this for my life. It leaves us confused. It leaves us feeling discouraged. It leaves us thinking like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna apply this to my life. I'm gonna be honest with you, God. The second thing is this, if you're taking notes, write this down. Reading the Bible through a microscope gives me the ability to make the Bible say what I want it to say. So you probably heard this before, but this is what it means when somebody takes a scripture out of context. Have you ever heard somebody say this before? Taking a scripture out of context. Now, I think that there are some people in the world who are purposely trying to take God's word out of context. But if we're being honest, I think most people do this and they don't even know they're doing it. 
Are you hearing me? We take scripture out of context and our heart isn't bad. We just don't know because we haven't been in the word. We don't know what it says. In fact, I've got two examples for you. The first one, I know you guys have heard this verse before. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to be honest. I've preached that scripture before. I believe in that scripture. I think it's a good scripture to lean on. I think you should memorize this passage. But what's dangerous is what's wrong is when we take this scripture and we throw it at people and we say, dude, life's going to get better. God has plans for you. Like, your life has to get better. Like, only good things are going to come because you are a Christian. And here's what we need to recognize. When we look at that scripture in context, what we see is that this is actually Jeremiah talking to the children of Israel, and they're in exile in Babylon. Like, they're not in a good place. And so Jeremiah comes in. He gives them this amazing, encouraging word. He's like, yeah, guys, God's not going to harm you. God's got plans for you. He's got a hope for you. How many of you would say, if you're in exile, that's a good, prof- that's a good promise, right? But the context of this is kind of interesting. They didn't leave Babylon for another 70 years. So that means there were people who heard this prophecy who never actually got to live it out. Isn't that interesting? So when we look at that, what does that tell us? Does that mean that that prophecy was any less true? No, it was still true. God still had a plan for them. What it means though, is that our life doesn't necessarily always trend up into the right. Like you know that, right? As Christians, we're not promised that our life is just gonna get better and better and better up into the right forever. We are gonna do that spiritually. We are gonna do that in our image of him, but the circumstances of life, there's gonna be stuff that you guys face in the future. What this promise does tell us is no matter what we face, guess what? God restores broken things. He always restores broken things. He did it with them in exile. It took a generation, but he did it anyway, and he'll do it with you, amen? So there's still truth to that. Here's another one. And I know you guys know this one too, Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I know you guys have seen a bro in the gym with this tattooed on their body somewhere. <laughs> like right on the bicep, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what's the common interpretation of that? The common one is I can do whatever I want and God's gonna help me. I can do whatever I want and Jesus is going to let me do it and he's gonna strengthen me. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I brought you in on this new love I have for basketball, right? Did you guys remember that? Yeah. I'm, still, I'm still into basketball, okay? The love has not faded yet. And, um, but what if, what if I came to you and I was like, yo, Gus, uh, I think I'm gonna start like practicing like two to three times a week. I'm gonna try to make the NBA next year. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Man, I would hope that Gus or any of you love me enough to be like, Jackson, I don't think that's what Paul meant, right? Right? Like being a Christian doesn't mean that like we get to just do whatever we want, be whoever we want, and Christ is just gonna sponsor us and do that. Like that's not, that's not how it works actually. And this is, what, this is why we need to take a bird's eye view if you just read 
the verse before 13, look at what Paul says. He says, I know how to be bought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You need to know what Paul is saying is he's writing this letter from prison. And if he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, why doesn't he just bust down that door through Christ who strengthens him? He's in prison and he's writing this. And what is he saying? He's not saying as Christians, we can do whatever we want and Christ is gonna strengthen us. What he's saying is I can be broke and Christ is gonna strengthen me. I can have everything I need. Christ still strengthens me. I can, I can be shipwrecked at sea, at, at sea. God is still the one who gives me strength. I can have all the money in the world, but God is still the one who gives me strength. It doesn't matter what team I make or don't make, what person I'm with or not, Christ is the one who gives me strength. Amen? Amen. And when we read scripture, when we read the Bible through a microscopic lens, what we do is we don't get that message. We get the message that I can do whatever I want, and Christ gives me strength. But that's not what it says. Jesus says, no, any situation you're in, he will strengthen you. This is why we need our head in the clouds. New Song students, are you following me tonight? Head in the clouds. Because why? Well, because all of scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture, the entire Bible is God-breathed, and it's good for you. What does it say? It's profitable for you. Listen to me, all scripture is profitable. Not just the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, not just the red letters, not just the parts of the Bible that make sense to you. All of the Bible is profitable for you. And if we are high enough to see the whole story of God's word, we actually get to experience the benefit of that promise from 2 Timothy chapter three, amen. The, the, really the heart behind this series, I got it um, three years ago whenever Haley and I were sitting on our bed one night and I'm scrolling through Instagram and one of my buddies from high school posted this Bible reading challenge called the 30-day shred. You've probably heard me talk about this before. Basically, the 30-day shred is where you read the entire Bible in just 30 days. And I looked at this, I looked at this post and I was like, in my head, I was like, that's crazy. I would never do that. I don't even think I could possibly do that. And so I look over to Haley, I roll over to her and I'm like, can you believe this? This is wild. Who would read the Bible in 30 days? And she looks at me and if you know Haley, this kind of makes sense. She's like, let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, say what? And she was like, yeah, tomorrow, let's start it. And we literally started the 30 day shred the next day. So we shred, we shred through the entire Bible in 30 days, and I'm telling you, it was hard work. But for the first time in my entire life, I could, have con I could confidently look at somebody in the eye and say, yeah, I've read the whole Bible, every single verse. And not only that, for the first time in my entire adult life, I was like, I get it now. I see that this is one story. It's one story all pointing right to Jesus. I get it now. And there was one day, where I really, this really hit me. It was like the third day of the shred and we had just shredded through the entire book of Leviticus, which if you've read Leviticus before, it's like riveting stuff, y'all, just <laughs> riveting. And 
So we read through the whole book of Leviticus that day, and I had never done that before. I don't even know if I had read a chapter in Leviticus up until that point in my life. So I read through the whole book, absolutely blew my mind. Now, if you don't know what Leviticus is, it's literally a book of rules. It's a book full of 630 laws that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel to follow. It's just a book of laws. That's what it is. And up until this point in my life, I had never read through this book. So we read through that book on that day. And later that night, we're walking, uh, we're walking our dogs at uh, Hafer Park. Has anybody ever been to Hafer Park? I love Hafer Park. And we're walking the trail. And I'm not even joking. We spent the entire hour of our walk being like, Leviticus is amazing which I never thought I would say that in my entire life. But we talked about Leviticus for the entire hour of our walk and how, how amazing it was. And we were like, I get it now. This makes so much sense. And reading this makes me love God so much more. Reading Leviticus, y'all, it, it made me love God so much more. So tonight, what I wanna do with the rest of our time together is I wanna look at this, the law. And I wanna show you how the law, when you read the law, how it fits into the whole story of God's word. Because if we're not careful, we can look at the Bible like this. We can think that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. Have you ever thought that before? We can look at God and the Old Testament and we can think that like he was just all about rules and rituals. And for some reason, whenever Jesus showed up, he just decided to be all about love and like loving your enemies. But can I tell you that God's love was the same before Jesus and after Jesus. And you know what else? God's holiness was the same before Jesus and after Jesus. And so actually I heard uh, Pastor Ken say this last night at equip class. He said this, this, is, this would be good for you to write notes on. He said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Somebody needs to hear that again. <laughs> the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That means it's the same God. Like he didn't change his mind. He's always been the same, but in the Old Testament, it was all pointing to somebody. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, all of that stuff, it was pointing to me. And he actually says this in Matthew chapter five. I know we're really going deep tonight, but can I just, can we just check in for a second? Are you guys doing okay? Yeah. Are we doing okay tonight? You want more? Yeah. Okay, Matthew chapter five, look at what Jesus says. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a single dot from the law will pass until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, this is Jesus talking, y'all. Whoever relaxes from one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Yikes. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, this is crazy. Unless, you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Dang, Jesus. Whoa, what do you mean by that? Okay, Jay Vernon says this about this passage. I love this. He says, the fact of the matter is that the law is still the standard. It reveals to me that I cannot measure up 
to God's standard. This drives me to the cross of Christ. The only way I can fulfill the law is by accepting the one who could fulfill it, Jesus Christ. So the law, what are we talking about? How, how in the world does the law fit in with the story of God? And does this mean that when we read the book of Leviticus, we need to start applying these laws to our life? Yes, I'm just kidding. No, that's not what it means. That would be crazy. Some of y'all were like, oh no, I need to leave. Not exactly. Now, what am I talking about when I say the law? I'm not just talking about the 10 commandments. I'm not even just talking about um, Leviticus. I'm talking about the Pentateuch. If you're taking notes, write this down. What is the Pentateuch? It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you've ever read these five books, you'll know that they are full of stories about God and they are full of laws. Somebody say laws. Full of stories and full of laws. But how it starts is this. We start in the creation story. And what do we see in creation? We see this truth. God really wants to be with his people. He really wants to be with his people. But what happens? Adam and Eve, they sin. Death enters into the garden. They have to leave God's presence. But that doesn't stop God from wanting to be with his people. So what happens next? We eventually see Abraham. God gives Abraham this awesome promise. He's gonna make them a great nation, an amazing family. But this amazing family gets caught up in slavery, right? In Egypt. But guess what? That didn't stop God from wanting to be with his people. So what happens next? God raises up a dude named Moses. So what does Moses do? Well, he experiences this thing called the Exodus, which is where God miraculously takes the children of Israel out of slavery and into the wilderness. But for some reason, this massive group of straight up ragamuffins don't wanna, they don't wanna trust God. They don't wanna trust God. They don't wanna follow his ways. They wanna worship idols. But listen to me, I hope you're seeing a pattern here. That doesn't stop God from wanting to be with his people. So then the ending of Exodus, this is super interesting. I really need you to lean in with me to get this. The ending of Exodus, it ends with Moses erecting this thing called the tabernacle, which is basically just a fancy word for a tent. <laughs> they build this tent and it's where they're gonna be with God. It's gonna be like their mobile garden of Eden. And wherever they go, the presence of God is gonna be with them and God is finally gonna be with his people and they're finally gonna be with him. Only one problem, they build this tent and then they can't get in it. That's literally how Exodus ends. They build this tent and they can't even get in the tent. Look at this. And Moses, look at this. He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Praise God. Let's go have a revival service. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And look, this next verse, this is how the book ends. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So Exodus ends with them building the tent and they can't even get in the tent. Okay, fast forward to the book of Numbers. Look at how the book of Numbers begins. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. Okay, time out. So Exodus ends, they can't even go inside of the tent. Numbers starts with Moses, with God, 
talking with God in the tent. He's with God. So what in the world happened between Exodus and Numbers? Leviticus happened. Isn't that crazy? Somebody's not getting that tonight. What happened between them not being able to be with God and them being in the presence of God was Leviticus. The book of Leviticus happened. And this is the book that we tend to write off as just being like just a bizarre book full of rules, right? Has anybody ever thought that before? Just me? We're like, oh, I'm never gonna read that. I'm, like how many of you are going through Leviticus right now in your morning devotionals? Anybody? I dare you to raise your hand. No, because you're not, right? Nobody's doing that. We write this book off and we're like, oh, that, that book's crazy, full of rules. But what, you want, what I want you to see is that Leviticus fixed the proximity problem with God's people. Look at what the Bible Project says. It says, Leviticus acts as a bridge, highlighting the need for restoration of the relationship between God and humans. This book is not just a long list of laws and rituals. Leviticus is a story about God's desire to repair his relationship with Israel so they can live with him in a restored space and rest with him as reformed people. Amen. So, okay, I know we're going really, really hard tonight. I'm so proud of you guys. We're going deep, y'all. This is, we're not joking around. I want to talk about the three ways that, that Leviticus goes through. They all apply to us today. They all are a part of our story. And then we're gonna close just a little bit more. Follow along with me. But I found this really helpful way to view this book of Leviticus. And it was from the Bible Project. If you've never heard of the Bible Project, go check them out. Amazing tools. But they broke up the entire book of Leviticus into three parts. The first part is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Movement one, or part one, is where God repairs the relationship. That's Leviticus one through seven. Then movement two, what does God do? He restores the holy space. That's Leviticus eight through 16. And then the, the, the book ends with movement three, reforming the people through rest. Leviticus 17 through 27. Okay, so in this first part of the book, we see God going straight from the get-go about fixing the main issue with his people. And it's not that they're not looking holy. It's not that they're not keeping feasts. The first thing God addresses is relationship because God is all about relationship. The book doesn't start with, hey, these are rules you need to do to be holy. No, the book starts with God saying, we need to address something that's keeping you from me. And that's this thing called sin. That's how the book starts. This first section of Leviticus is not God being a jerk. It's not God trying to be harsh with people. It's God being as clear as possible with the children of Israel. Because you guys need to know, God is not the author of confusion. Do you know this? He is not the author of confusion. He is as clear as can be. And you know what he's saying to them in this first section? He's saying, hey, I wanna be with you, children of Israel, but you've got a sin problem. And we've got to deal with this. And guess what? You can come to me as you are. You don't have to be perfect, but somebody's got to pay for this sin. And so what I'm going to do in my mercy is I'm going to let your animals take the sin instead of you. This is amazing, y'all. Y'all are not getting this. This is amazing. And so God says, I'm going to deal with the sin so I can get you. And can I tell you, New Song students, this is still God's heart for us today. 
This is still God's heart. And in this time in history, the children of Israel, they had to keep on making sacrifices because it was never a perfect sacrifice. All it would do was cover up sin. So it's almost like God would just take their sin and he would just put a big sheet over it and cover it and they would be holy. But they had to do that every year, every day to keep on covering the sin. But we have it so much better because Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, New Song students. He died once and for all. And what does that mean? He doesn't just cover our sin. No, he takes it away. He wipes it as far away as the east is from the west. It's gone. Somebody say gone. And God is not mean. He's not a jerk when he comes to us and he's as clear as possible. And he says, hey, I wanna be with you, but we've gotta deal with the sin. I wanna be with you but we've got to deal with the sin. That doesn't mean you have to come to me perfect. It just means we need to do something about the sin. And today we have it so much better because guess what? He already dealt with it. He put it on Jesus. And so this is the first movement that we see in Leviticus. The second movement, it goes from this place of relationship to the second movement of restoring a holy space. And what is this? This is where God starts laying out This is the kind of boring part of Leviticus, if you've ever read it. This is where it seems like there's a rule for everything they do. Have you ever read it before? There's like rules for how you feed your sheep, rules for how you go to the bathroom. There's rules for everything. And it seems like God is being a big jerk, giving them rules for everything. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to make the outside of their life reflect the inside. He's saying, you're holy inside. Now, I want your life on the outside to reflect the holiness that's inside of you. New Song students, that's still God's heart for us today. Did you know that this is what we're talking about when we say we are all about practicing the way of Jesus? It means that our walk with Jesus isn't just an inward thing. It starts off that way, but it eventually becomes something where the outside of our life mirrors the holiness that's inside of us. Are you following me? This is the same thing that the children of Israel experienced in the book of Leviticus. It's them ordering their entire life around a way that reflects God. That means that for us, like the way we school, the way we're friends with people, the way we love our parents, the way we listen to music. I'm not talking about being like religious or legalistic about it. I'm just saying we make everything match the inward thing. Does that make sense? It's restoring the holy space, making the inward match the outward. Barclay says this, I love this. I posted this today. Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. Either secrecy kills discipleship or the discipleship kills secrecy. We can't be secret Christians, New Song students. The outside of our life, it eventually has to come from a flow that Jesus is doing on the inside. And this is what the book of Leviticus is about. It started with a relationship. It moved into holiness outside of their life. And I wanna go to movement three. I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. The final movement outlines this thing called rest. Somebody say rest. Rest. The last section of the book of Leviticus teaches the the children of Israel how to order their life not around anxieties, not around the fear of not having enough, but around Sabbath and festivals. Y'all need to lean in with me because this is really good. He tells them, I'm making you rest and I am making you have festivals. Why? 
because God wants the children of Israel to have the goodness of God, the provision of God, and the power of God on their mind. He literally says, I'm commanding you to rest and to celebrate me. New Song students, this is still God's heart for us today. This doesn't mean that as believers, we're free from like facing trials in life and we can just rest. No, it means in the middle of the trials, in the middle of the breakup, in the middle of being in trouble with our parents, in the middle of it, we rest. We can rest. Like I can rest from the fear of man because of Jesus. I can rest from the fear of the future. Why? Because I know God's goodness. I can rest. And we, we learn these things when we take a bird's eye view of the law. We see that God dealt with the sin so he could have us. And then he started to show us, this is how you walk out that holiness in every part of your life. And then because of that, guess what? You get to rest. I wanna close with this. I love this passage. It's one of my favorites. And it's Jesus talking. And we see all three of these movements, all three of these parts of Leviticus in exactly what Jesus is saying. Look at this, Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Look at that relationship right there. Come to me as you are. Don't come to me perfect, come to me, period. As you are, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. There's holiness restored. Learn from me, practice the way of Jesus. Don't just let it stay an inward thing. Let it move outward. And then look at this last thing. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, what is that word? Rest for your souls, reformed to rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't this amazing, church? This is the God we serve. This Bible is so much better than you think it is. It's not just a book full of random stories. It's a story about who God is. And guess what? You are a part of this story. And God wants to do what he did with the children of Israel in the book of Leviticus, he wants to do that with you. He wants to restore relationship. He wants to make you look holy outside and inside. And he wants to invite you into rest. And we're gonna respond to this tonight. Would you bow your heads?